Okay, brothers and sisters, praise his feet to our loving God. We're gathered once again to study the book, which is the Holy Scriptures. And we can learn so many principles about life and about the way we ought to worship and serve our loving God. Now, we left off last week discussing Balak and Balaam. How many here still remember what the story was about? Well, actually, it was about Balak's desire to place a curse on the people of God the people of Israel. So he hired a diviner, a sorcerer. His name is Balaam. And he wanted to find a way to place this curse upon the people of God. But of course, they failed because God was protecting his people Israel. So instead of casting curse, Balaam ended up casting blessing upon the people of Israel. This was Yahuwah God acting behind the scenes, unbeknownst to the people of Israel, but they were being cared for by their loving Abba, Yahuwah, our God. So Balak and Balaam went back to their separate ways, went back home, and we are left with Israel. Remember, their purpose is to conquer the promised land, to dwell there, and eventually build a temple dedicated to Yahuwah, our God. So after that incident, where were they and what happened to them next? Well, let's go ahead and take a look at this map of the promised land. And if we magnify it a little bit, we see where we left off. That is by the plains of Moab. If you can see the plains of Moab, it's at the upper part. Perhaps you can't see it. But over there, that is where they dwelled when Balaam and Balak attempted to place a curse on Israel. Of course, it did not work. And so we continue with the story. And so the people of Israel, they found themselves wandering in this area right around there in Mount Pisgah. They were there in Acacia Grove. That's where they camped. And as they were there, what happened to them? Perhaps you got a clue from the title, right? What's the title again of our study today? Destruction by Distraction. Perhaps they were distracted. Have you ever been on a journey or have you ever had a project that you had to accomplish or finish? Had you ever had to do something that required absolute focus and without focus, you're going to fail? For example, you're driving, right? If you're driving on the freeway and for a split second, you get distracted, what happens to you? You get destroyed. That is an example of destruction by distraction. If you are focused and engaged in a particular activity, you need to be focused because the moment you lose focus and get distracted, it might take you away from the path. It's what happened to the people of Israel. What caused their distraction and eventually their destruction? The book of Numbers 25 verse 1. Well, the Israelites were camped at Acacia Grove. Some of the men defiled themselves by having sexual relations with local Moabite women. Remember, they were in the plains of Moab. Moabites dwelled there. Moabites also mingled with the Midianites because they partnered together to try and beat the people of Israel. And so while they were in the plains of Moab, what eventually happened to them? They got distracted and then seduced, and the men defiled themselves by having sexual relations with the local Moabite women. In other words, they were influenced by the people of Moab. It should have been the other way around, right? What is that? 
the Israelites, the people of God, should have influenced the Moabites. But for some reason, that's never the case. It's always the enemy that influences the good guys. This time it's the people of God. You know, like the people of Israel, we too are here for a purpose. We are preparing to enter the promised land. However, like the people of Israel, they're waiting in the wilderness. We have to be careful because we are in the world. The world is like the wilderness. Instead of being, instead of copying the world and being influenced by the world, what should we be doing? Bible says we should be lights to the world, salt of the earth. In other words, we should not let the world influence us. We should be the one to influence the world. The people of Israel failed in that aspect. And because they let the Moabites influence them, they ended up with committing immorality. This was one of the distractions that would lead to their destruction. However, that was not the gist of it. There was something far worse than that. What was it? Let's keep reading Numbers 25, 2 to 3. These women invited them to attend sacrifices to their gods. So the Israelites feasted with them and worshiped the gods of Moab. In this way, Israel joined in the worship of Baal of Peor, causing Yahuwah's anger to blaze against his people. Not only were they guilty of immorality, they were also guilty of what? Worshiping the gods of Moab, who specifically did they join in worship of? Baal of Peor. We would have encounters in the future with Baal, but this is the first instance in scripture where the people of Israel are engaged in any kind of relationship with this false god Baal. And so the people of Israel, they became involved not just with immorality, but also idolatry. Those two things would prove and lead to the demise of the people of Israel. We need to guard ourselves with the same things, immorality and idolatry. Is that present in our present world today? What is your answer? Absolutely. We need to guard ourselves as well from immorality and idolatry. What is this idolatry all about? It's centered on the worship of false gods, namely the chief god of the false gods. What is his name? Baal of Peor. And how does he look like? It's, he is depicted as a bull. So he's like half man, half bull. That is how he is depicted. But who is this uh, false god named Baal? According to the Holman Bible Atlas, the most important god worshipped in Canaan. Remember, they were entering Canaan. That was the promised land. The promised land was fertile, was a fertile land. It was a rich land. That's why when they went there to spy the land, they discovered grapes. How big? So big they could not carry it by themselves. They needed help of other uh, Israelites. It was so fertile, the land, right? And the Canaanites had a god, their most important god that they worshipped. His name was Baal. A title originally meaning Lord or Master. Baal was the Lord of the earth whose powers gave life to the earth. Frequently identified with the West Semitic storm god Hadad. Baal brought the rains 
that revitalized the land parched by the long summer drought. Baal's symbol was the bull, but he could also be depicted in human form, standing on a cloud, holding an object, perhaps a club or a thunderbolt, in his upraised hand. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like a lot, sounds like Zeus to me, doesn't it? And so these false gods have a lot of things in common, and they're called lords and masters because they are to be served and worshiped. The chief god, the most important god amongst the Canaanites, was Baal, lord or master. Take note that he had power over the earth. What kind of power did he have over the earth? What did the Israelites notice about the people who worship Baal? Again, in a book or in a website, actually, that the world may know.com, when the Israelites entered Canaan, they found a land of farmers, not shepherds, as they had been in the wilderness. The land was fertile beyond anything the Hebrew nomads had ever seen. The Canaanites attributed this fertility to their god Baal, that is where the Israelites' problems began. Could the god who had led them out of Egypt and through the wilderness also provide fertile farms in the promised land? Or would the fertility god of Canaan have to be honored? And so when they recognized how fertile the, the land of Canaan was and the people in Canaan speaking and worshiping about Baal, they began to think to themselves, if we too are going to enjoy the richness of the land, we have to worship their God. And so the culture of the Moabites and the Canaanites influenced their thinking, causing the people of Israel to second guess the power of Yahuwah God. They began to think to themselves, should we worship Yahuwah God or should we worship Baal? And so they decided for themselves to get the best of both worlds. Why not worship both? Both Yahuwah and Baal. The more you worship, the better it is for you. And so they began to mix worship. They, they, they synchronized the worship. They put it together. And eventually they developed their own brand of worship that Yahuwah God detested. However, when it comes to worshiping Baal, what does it usually involve? If you notice, many of the pictures that people attribute to Baal and the images associated with it, it often involves giving a child to Baal, right? And this was a common practice among pagan religions, the pagan fertility rites. And when the people of Moab, when the people of Midian, when the Canaanites, for example, had problems, they had uh, crises, they had tribulations, because all of us as human beings, we have that in common. We're going to face tribulations in life. The people of Moab, when they had to go through difficult times, you know what they did? In that the world may know.com, at times of crisis, Baal's followers sacrificed their children. <laughs> they gave up their own kids, apparently the firstborn of the community, to gain personal prosperity. The Bible called this practice detestable. God specifically appointed the tribe of Levi as his special servants in place of the firstborn of the Israelites. So they had no excuse for the offering of their children. Numbers 3, 11, and 13. We talked about that before. The Bible's repeated condemnation of child sacrifice shows God's, show, show God's hatred of it, especially among his 
people. And so when it comes to Baal worship, we know why God, one of the reasons why God hates it so much, and one of the reasons why the Moabites, the Midianites, and many of the religious practices of the Canaanites was detestable to God, because it involved killing children as a way of dedicating it to God. That is appalling, isn't it? But it's not only that. Those, uh, the Baal was also involved in certain fertility rites. Baal worship also involved Canaanite fertility rites, which involved both male and female temple prostitutes and encouraged all kinds of sexual immorality. Both the idolatry and the immorality were forbidden by the laws of God. So we can see Baal worship was connected to and associated with things which were detestable in the eyes of Yahuwah our God. Number one, idolatry. God hated idolatry. And number two, immorality, specifically sexual immorality. These two things that God detests is the essence of worship practiced by the Moabites, the Midianites, and the other Canaanites. And so when the people of God found themselves in the company of people who practiced these detestable things. Instead of influencing them, they got influenced by the people living there. Why? What did they see? If we go back to Numbers 25, 2 down to 3, they were in Moab. They saw the women there, right? And so basically they got distracted. It's so easy nowadays to get distracted distractions are always around us isn't this true we are preparing for our salvation but nowadays there's so many things that can distract a human being and so when we are distracted what should we do we need to shift our focus again upon yahushua who is our christ so let's change our focus not on earth instead shift it towards heaven why because if we will not change our focus if we will focus instead of the things that cause distraction, what will eventually happen? In Numbers 25, 2 down to 3, we begin to see and focus on the feasting, on the people having a good time, on the practices of, that the people were, were following. And so we become more and more like the people we're surrounded with. Because what you place your focus on eventually will entice you or seduce you. So if you focus on the distraction, the distraction will eventually seduce you. So it begins with distraction. It could lead to seduction. But once you're seduced into following the things of the world rather than the things of God, what will happen to you? Bible says in verse 3, in this way, Israel joined in the worship of Baal of Peor, causing Yahuwah's anger to blaze against his people. And so they were destroyed by Yahuwah's anger. So the distraction led to seduction. The seduction led to being destroyed. This is usually the process. We need to always make sure at the point of being distracted, we need to shift our focus away from the distraction and to the things that we ought to be doing the will of our God. And so in this life today, today, do we see a modern version of the Moabites? I think so. Remember the people of Moab during times of crisis, what did they do again? They offer their 
children to Baal. Is that also being practiced by the people of the world today? Well, not in that sense. But how many people here, how many parents do you know of? How many fathers and mothers do you know of who sacrifice the well-being of their kids so that they can get advanced, so that they can prosper, so that they can get rich? There are many people who are like that. That's a seduction of the Moabites. And we also know about immorality nowadays. So many people today believe that adultery, fornication, this is but normal. Everyone does it. That's what they say. This is the way of the world. We need to be careful not to be seduced, but by the modern Moabite thinking. And so what is the instruction of Apostle Paul for each and every one of us? Romans 12 verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect, so that we will not be distracted by the seductions of this world, by the ways of this world. What is the instruction of the Apostle Paul? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Just because everyone is doing it doesn't mean it's right. Just ask the people during the days of Noah and the universal flood. What was the majority? Everyone laughed at Noah's idea of building an ark, right? Nobody believed him. How many believed Noah? Only seven, right? His household. They were in the small minority. The majority said no. What happened to the majority? They all perished because of the universal deluge. You see, just because everyone is doing it doesn't make it right. What is right is not what everyone's doing. What is right is what God tells us to do. And so we need to focus always on the will of God, which we can find written in the Holy Scripture. So when it comes to the ways of the world, don't copy it. Not only that, the Apostle John adds to it, 1 John 2, 15 to 17, do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So that we don't end up like the people of the world. Apostle John instructs us not to love the things of the world. It doesn't mean not to love the people. We are to love people, including the people of the world. However, we must not love the things of the world. What is that referring to? Three things. The cravings of the flesh. The cravings of physical pleasure. Number two, the craving for everything we see. Materialism. And number three, the pride of life, pride in our achievements and possessions. These are the cravings of our flesh. And Satan, the enemy, capitalizes on the cravings of the flesh, the cravings of our eyes, materialism, and also the pride of life to try and derail us and destroy us. We need to overcome the temptations of the enemy and the temptations of our flesh so that we don't end up becoming like the world. Why should we not copy the things of the world? Because the world is fading away, and those who hold on to it will fade away together with the world. So let's do instead what pleases God, so that we will not be destroyed, we will not fail like the people of 
Israel. It's too bad the people of Israel failed because they got distracted, they got seduced, they got destroyed. The blazing fire of God's anger. Do you know what that was? What was that blazing fire of God's anger that destroyed the people of Israel? Because the people of Israel mingled sexually with the people of Moab. The book of Corinthians 10, 6 to 8, the Apostle Paul gives us the following insight. These things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Apostle Paul was referring to the wilderness journey of the people of Israel. Perhaps he was, he was speaking about that incident in Moab where they copied and adopted the idolatry and the immorality of the Moabites. What happened to them? Because of God's anger, 23,000 of them died in one day. This was in the form of a plague. Oftentimes when the Bible says God's anger burned, he often sent plagues. This was not the first time that the people of Israel experienced plagues because God was punishing them. And so in just one day, because of the plague, 23,000 of them died. However, it was not the only way that God punished them. What also did Yahuwah God say? Numbers 24, uh, 25, 4 to 5, Yahuwah issued the following command to Moses, seize all the ringleaders and execute them before Yahuwah in broad daylight. So his fierce anger will turn away from the people of Israel. So Moses ordered Israel's judges, each of you must put to death the men under your authority who have joined in worshiping Baalav, Peor. So not only did God send the plague, Yahuwah God also gave the following command to Moses. What is that? To execute the people, the so-called ringleaders who were involved in the worship of Baal. And so it was a two-form or a two-pronged approach for discipline punishing the people of Israel. One, the execution of the ringleaders, right? The leaders who were involved in the worship of Baal and sexual immorality. And number two, the plague. Do you know why this was necessary? Why God had to do this? Because Yahuwah God had in mind using the people of Israel to bring forth the Messiah for the salvation of mankind. However, if the people of Israel are behaving like this, what would happen to the seed that was promised by Yahuwah God? It would be corrupted and the plan of God for the salvation of man would be thwarted. God would not allow it. So this was a necessity because God was not to tolerate this kind of sin, this flagrant and blatant sin against Yahuwah our God. So he had to take drastic measures drastic actions. I don't know about you, but when you think about God's action here, execution of ringleaders and the plague, do you know what that reminds you of? What does that remind you of? It's like when a person has a malignant tumor. What do you do with a malignant tumor? You just let it grow in your body? You just drink more vitamins? You just exercise more? What do you do with it? You got to surgically cut it off, surgically remove it. 
it's like execution of ringleaders, right? But after doing that, what do they also do afterwards? Radiation, right? Chemotherapy, right? To get rid of the excess, the other, the, maybe what has been affect other areas which has been affected by the tumor, the ringleaders. And so this is a way of making sure that the malignant tumor will not destroy the entire body of Israel because out of Israel will come forth the Mashiach or the Messiah. And so Yahuwah God took this action to get rid of the problem so that the plan for the salvation of mankind would be indeed fulfilled. However, to show you the problem that this was, the, the severity of the problem here concerning the people of Israel, right after doing this, what happens next? I want you to look at this, and this should boggle the mind. And so here's the people of Israel being punished by God, right? And so they're weeping, they're crying, because people are dying, 23,000 because of the plague. And so while this was going on, in verse 6, one of uh, the Israelite leaders does this. Verse 6, just then, one of the Israelite men brought a Midianite woman into his tent right before the eyes of Moses and all the people as everyone was weeping at the entrance of the tabernacle. Can you imagine that? <laughs> they were already being punished by God. They were weeping because people are dying. They are there weeping together with Moses. And here comes an Israelite man, <laughs> right? It's like nothing happened. He brings a Midianite woman with him and takes her into his tent. What do you think they're going to do? Engage in more sexual immorality. And so when this was observed by one of the priests, what, what did he do? Let's read verses 7 to 9. When Phineas, son of Eleazar, and grandson of Aaron the priest, saw this, Let's for a while. Who was Eleazar? He is now the high priest. That was the, bro the uh, brother of Aaron. Remember? Uh, the son of Aaron. Grandson. Now is the grandson of Aaron. Eleazar took the place of Aaron. He died. Remember? And so he, became, he becomes the high priest. He has uh, one, of, uh, one of his sons is Phineas. He's also a priest. And so he sees everything. And what does he do? Well, he's, when he saw this, he jumped up and left the assembly. He took a spear and rushed after the man into his tent. Phineas thrust the spear all the way through the man's body and into the woman's stomach. So the plague against the Israelites was stopped, but not before 24,000 people had died. Imagine that. This Israelite leader had the... Uh, the gall to bring a Midianite woman and they were, do, they were practicing sexual immorality, here's Phineas, because of Yahuwah's instruction in broad daylight to, to kill those who were involved in this kind of practice, what did he do? Took a spear, went into the, went into the, uh, the tent and thrust his spear through the man's body and into the woman's Stomach. In other words, they were engaged in that kind of activity while well, this happened. And after Phineas did this, what happened to the plague? 
it stopped. But damage was done. 24,000 people had died. Well, who was this man, this leader who did this? Well, in Numbers 25, 14, and 15, the Israelite man killed with the Midianite woman was named Zimri, son of Salu, the leader of a family from the tribe of Simeon. The woman's name was Kozbi, which was the daughter of Zur, the leader of a Midianite clan. So you had one, a leader of the people of Israel, the leader of the tribe of Simeon, and another one, the daughter of another leader of a Midianite clan. Perhaps they thought because of their social standing, they, they had immunity to commit from committing sin. They had you know, a special power they, that their sins will be ignored. Perhaps that's what they thought. Maybe there are people who are like that who think the same way, that if they have certain social status or maybe they have a certain status in their religion, they can do whatever they want. God would approve of that because after all, they're doing the work of God. That's not what happened here. Yahuwah God was very upset and he was very angry. And this is why Yahuwah God approved that he would be killed. And so after all this took place, what did Yahuwah God say to Moses? Let's read 16 to 18. Then Yahuwah said to Moses, attack the Midianites and destroy them. Because they assaulted you with deceit and tricked you into worshiping Baal of Peor. And because of Cosby, the daughter of a Midianite leader who was killed at the time of the plague because of what happened at Peor. And so according to Yahuwah God, it, he revealed that the people of Israel were tricked and deceived. You notice that? Into worshiping Baal and also tricked and deceived into having sexual immorality with the Moabite women. Here's my question to you. Who do you think tricked them? Who was the one who taught them to do that? Because Yahuwah God is obviously upset with the Midianites and also the Moabites are working together. But who was behind it all? The chief instrument of the devil, Satan. Who do you think it was? It's not mentioned here in the book of Numbers 25. He's being concealed. But behind the scenes, there was someone at work which caused the people of Israel to stumble, to fall, to fail, and to get destroyed. Mission accomplished, they said. In the background, they were clapping their hands, giving each other high fives. Because of what had happened. Who do you think that who do you think they were behind the scenes? You know, it's not written in Numbers 25, but this is revealed by Yahusha the Christ himself. Yeah. Because Yahusha knew. He knows because Yahusha has access to the mind of God after all, right? So he knows everything. He knows what happened behind the scenes. What was it? And this should really help us to be more informed so that we can prepare ourselves from future attacks because we all know the enemy will attack like this, right? And so what did Yahusha say? Who was responsible for that? In Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, this is what it says, but I have a few complaints against you. I want to pause there for a while. This is Yahuwah, Yahusha HaMashiach, Yahusha the Christ, his message to the assemblies, the churches, right? 
He's in heaven. He's speaking to the seven assemblies, the seven churches, and he has this against the church or assembly of Pergamon. This is I have. This is what I have against you. Complaint against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. So who was responsible for tripping up the people of Israel so that they would fall and be destroyed? Who was it? According to Yahushua, it was Balaam and Balak working together. Balaam taught the pe- taught Balak how to destroy the people of Israel. Did they try to destroy the people of Israel before? They did. What was their method before? Sorcery, divine magic, some kind of magic, right? Divination. Did that work? No, it didn't work. And so what did they resort to? They resorted to teaching the people of Israel how to destroy themselves. How? By teaching them to commit the things that are against the will of God. And so Balak and Balaam failed to place a curse on Israel. But Balaam figured out a way to get Israel to curse themselves. So he basically told Balak, you know, there's nothing I can do for you. I cannot place a curse on Israel. But this is something better. We can cause the people of Israel to curse themselves. Just get them to do what God hates. What is that? Idolatry. Immorality. Did it work? You betcha. (laughs) It worked like a charm, right? People of Israel, they were decimated. But the plan of God is not to be thwarted. However, there's something that Yahushua wants us to learn. This is his message to the church and assembly of Pergamum, which is also his message to all of us. Because when Yahushua has a message for the seven assemblies or seven churches, it's a direct message to all of us, to all of us. We need to be mindful of this. You notice what Yahushua says? I have a few complaints against you. And here's one of them. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam. So what is Yahushua warning us about? He's warning us about false teachers, right? That we should not tolerate false teachers. This is why we should never think and say to ourselves, oh, Yahuwah God will take care of them. Bible says we should not tolerate false teachers. In the Holy Scriptures, false teachers are associated with Balaam. For example, King Yahushua, Peter, and Jude warned us about false teachers who work according to the ways of Balaam. This is why for us to be able to protect ourselves, because all of us, we listen to spiritual preachers, right? We listen to ministers. We listen to those who lead us spiritually. But we need to be careful what they say and what they teach. That's the message of Yahushua. Do not tolerate those whose teachings are like the teachings of Balaam. So what can we say about the way Balaam teaches? 
or what are false teach who are false teachers who practice from the ways of Balaam? Well, number one, we have to be, be careful of the way of Balaam. The Bible speaks about that, the way of Balaam. Number two, the error of Balaam, right? And number three, the doctrine of Balaam. Take note, these are all from the New Testament, which directly, not indirectly, but directly applies to each of us. And so it's a warning against false teachers, a warning about false religions and institutions, those who practice the way of Balaam, the error of Balaam, and the doctrine of Balaam, we need to stay clear from them. We need to reject them and leave them at all times because they will destroy us. This is what Yahushua is teaching us. And so what is the way of Balaam? Second Peter 2 verse 15, they have forsaken the right way and have gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness by the way what they all have in common false teachers always use the name of religion they always disguise their hidden agendas and motives under the guise of christianity under the guise of religion but beneath that is their true motive that's what they have in common is the way of balaam and so what is the way of balaam according to apostle peter he says they have forsaken the right way you see in everything we do there's the right way and there's the wrong way the way of balaam is the wrong way and to promote the wrong way they love the wages of unrighteousness what does it mean when we say unrighteousness it's not the right way it's the wrong way and so there are religious institutions there are people who preach, false teachers, who practice the way of Balaam because they love the wages of unrighteousness, which means not only are they willing to receive the wages for doing something wrong, they also pay wages so that what is wrong can be done. It goes both ways. They practice their authority. They use their power and wealth in order to do what is unrighteous in the eyes of God. Are there religions that are like that? Unfortunately, yes. Just open your eyes and you will see. What are examples of using the love of wages for unrighteousness? For example, getting involved with politicians. When you bribe a politician so that you can have what you want, get your way, does that happen? Yeah, it happens all the time. They use their power to buy a certain uh, politician because they know they have certain powers and authorities. And so they use their wealth, they use their money to pay the wages of unrighteousness. How else? They engage in shady business practices with known criminals. You know, if a false teacher or a religion will practice something like that, that's the way of Balaam. You get away from that religion, right? What else? They will use their wealth and power to oppress the weak and the poor so that their ways would be protected. So if there's any kind of resistance, they will use their power. They will use their wealth. They will even use the so-called justice system, pervert the way justice is done. They will even use the powers of attorney 
to file false lawsuits against individuals who are unable to protect themselves because they lack funds, but they will use that. That's the way of Balaam. Are there people like that? <laughs> yes. What else? How about the error of Balaam? What is that? Jude chapter 1 verse 11. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perish in the rebellion of Korah. What is the error of Balaam? It's using the cloak of religion to earn a profit, to have a personal advantage. And how is this typically done? There are institutions and religions today who pressure their members to give monetary offerings. Question, is it good to give offering? Is it? Yeah. yeah. Is it a command to give offering? Yes. However, if we pressure members to give monetary offerings by teaching it again and again, one is the subject of every lesson that they preach from the pulpit. When they say you will not be saved if you do not give this amount of offering, what is that called? You're pressuring the members. If they will visit your home just to give you an envelope and expect you to pay some kind of offering, that is already pressuring members to give monetary offering. That's the error of Balaam. What else? They exploit members' resources and services for their own profit. Maybe they engage in some kind of other activity. They need the help and services and expertise of these brethren. They will tap to that, tap on that resource for their own benefit. What else? They will use the cloak of religion to create other money-making schemes, right? Maybe, hey, let's have a concert. You sing, you sing, you will sell tickets. And they have other money-making schemes that they will use and exploit the members to do all that. These, this is the error of Balaam. So we have the way of Balaam, the error of Balaam, and the last one, the doctrine of Balaam. Who was the one who spoke about the doctrine of Balaam? It was Yahusha himself. If we go back to Revelation 2.14, but I have a few things against you. The one speaking here is Yahusha the Christ, but I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacred to idols and to commit sexual immorality. So what is the doctrine of Balaam? Well, it says here that he taught Balak to do something, right? And what did Balak teach? What did he pass on that came from Balaam? Which if that it's whatever he said, whatever he did, it led to the people of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Question, is it God's will to eat things sacrificed to idols? No, God hates it. Is it God's will to commit sexual immorality? No, God hates it. But the people of Israel, the people of God, they ended up doing the things which God hates. How was that possible? And I want you to think about this. Remember in Numbers 25 verse 6, remember the man who just walked in as if nothing's happening. And what did he do? He brings in a Midianite woman into the tent. Perhaps he thought what he was doing was permissible. Perhaps what he was doing, he thought, was the will of God. Because after all, remember, they are in the area of the Moabites and the Midianites. 
they were being taught all about Baal. Maybe they were being taught, if you want to prosper, you have to practice sexual immorality with these spiritual leaders of Moab and Midian. If you want to prosper, you have to worship Baal. Maybe they were thinking, this is also the right thing to do. Who do you think taught them that? Balak from Balaam to the people in Moab and Midian. That was their agenda. So they had an agenda that they used to propagate a doctrine. What kind of doctrine? A doctrine that teaches you to commit sin while making it feel and appear like it is the will of God. That's the doctrine of Balaam. What is the doctrine of Balaam? It's to get people to do what is wrong in the eyes of God. And the reason why they do it, they do it is because they're convinced that this wrong that they're doing is actually a doctrine of God. Are there religions like that? They teach you to do something you know God is against, but they say it's the will of God. That's very dangerous, isn't it? When they tell you to do things that God hates and they will say to you because it is the will of God, the teaching of God. What are examples? There are religions today who teach you should hate others, including members of their family. If they have a different faith, if they are opposing you, you should hate them. Even if they're members of your own family, even if they're own flesh and blood, do not talk to them. Do not associate with them. Are there religions like that? Brethren, we are to hate sin, yes, but we are not to hate people. <laughs> Always keep that in mind. What else? There are some religions today who promote and teach excessive adoration of spiritual leaders. And they say this is the will of God. But it's idolatry. God hates idolatry. What else? There are, leader, there are institutions today who instruct their members Sometimes to serve as false witnesses to do things against the law. Because they say, oh, it's okay to lie if you're going to serve the church. Brothers and sisters, we have to be careful. Because in this life, before the end comes, the way of Balaam, the error of Balaam, the doctrine of Balaam will be used again and again by the chief adversary of our faith. And so we need to always be on guard and make sure that we are not distracted and seduced and led to destruction because we are unaware. The best way to overcome deception is awareness. Awareness of what? The truth. This is why we have Bible history project lessons like this, Bible questions and answers, because we want to know the truth by digging deep into the scriptures. We have to make sure we arm ourselves and guard ourselves and our minds so that we would not be deceived, especially by those who use the cloak of religion to try and control your mind, to try and control your pockets, to try and control your soul. Brethren, the one that we must follow is Yahuwah God and his son, Yahusha HaMashiach. You know, when this was happening, when all this was happening, there was one person that God was pleased with, right? What was his name again? Did you still remember? Phineas. Who was Phineas? Grandson of Aaron. Why was he pleased with Phineas? Was it because he killed? That's not the, the point. Why was he pleased with Phineas? 
Let's read the book of Numbers 25, 10 to 11. We're almost done. Then Yahuwah said to Moses, Phinehas, son of Eleazar and grandson of Aaron, the priest has turned my anger away from the Israelites by being as zealous among them as I was. So I stopped destroying all Israel as I had intended to do in my zealous anger. So who was the one who pleased Yahuwah God during this incident when God was so angry with the people of Israel? And because of his one action, people of Israel, they were not completely destroyed. What was God's intention to completely destroy Israel, really? But he saw the action of Phineas, not Moses. Phineas, out of all the people there, Moses, the people, they were weeping and crying, right? Here's Phineas. And God said something about Phineas. He said, he was zealous. You see, brothers and sisters, if we want to please God, especially during an age like this, when wickedness is the norm nowadays, right? Wickedness is the norm. Righteousness is mocked and laughed at. It's old-fashioned, they say, it's conservative. Liberals, they always parade what is wicked in the eyes of God. They mock God in the process. That's why God is angry. God is angry. However, amidst God's anger, the one that will please him is the one who is zealous. Wait a minute. What does that mean, to be zealous? Zealous in what? Because that can be misapplied too, right? What does it mean, to be zealous? Let's read the book of Numbers 25, 12 to 13. Now tell him that I am making my special covenant of peace with him. In this covenant, I give him and his descendants a permanent right to the priesthood. For in his zeal, for me, his God, he purified the people of Israel, making them right with me. What was the zeal in Phineas? That Yahuwah noticed, and because of this, good things happened to Israel. Yahuwah God himself said what he saw in Phineas, which he made sure Moses saw. That's why he was speaking to Moses. He said, Moses, take a look at Phineas. He made me happy today. Why? Because of his zeal for me, his God. Because of this, what was God's blessing, his reward for him? Yahuwah says, I am making my special covenant of peace with him. It's a special covenant. People of Israel has a covenant with Yahuwah. But this one with Phineas is special. <laughs> Very special. So you know, Yahuwah God must have been really pleased. Don't you want to please God in that way? Don't you want that when Yahuwah God looks at us, he says to us, you have pleased me. If we want that kind of response from Yahuwah, our God, then we have to have a zeal for him. This is what he saw in Phineas. And may he see this zeal in us, a zeal for the living God. During our days, our time, what does that look like? What does it mean for us to have this zeal for God? Let's read the final passage of our studies today, the book of Romans 12, 11 and 12. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer.
What does it mean? To have a zeal for Yahuwah our God. It means to have spiritual fervor. What is spiritual fervor? It is excitement. This is not a lukewarm desire to worship God. You see, Yahuwah God is not interested in lukewarm worship. What he's looking for is worship with zeal. That means passion, spiritual fervor, excitement. How can we tell if someone has zeal, someone has spiritual fervor? They serve the Lord. It was about action, right? It's about action. When the sin was committed by that man, bringing the Midianite woman, Moses, the others were weeping. But there's only one man who took action. Who was that? Phineas. You see, when it comes to zeal, it's not just about what we use with our mouth to praise Yahuwah God. It's not just about worshiping with our mouth. It's about our action. It's about what we do. That's what spirit, spiritual fervor is about. It's about doing the right thing to please God and doing it with fervor or with passion. How do we recognize someone who has zeal, who has spiritual fervor? Bible says they are joyful in their hope. That's why even in time of affliction, they're patient in faithful prayer. It is their hope in a better tomorrow that keeps their spiritual fervor alive because they know that Yahuwah God is not yet finished. He's still working in us and through us and he will use us as instruments to bring about the salvation of mankind. Brethren, let's be a part of that. And when we are a part of that, let us make sure that what we do, we do in such a way that we say to our loving Father, Father, I love you. And so I will keep up doing this work, no matter what happens. I will be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, and filled with zeal in my services to you and my fellow men. If we are like that, even amidst God's anger upon the world, we can find the pleasure, the peace of God, as he fulfills his promises to each and every one of us. That is our lesson, brethren. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father. Yes. Yahuwah Almighty. Yes. You are the true God whom we worship. Amen. We devote our life to you. Yes, Father. And with zeal to the best of our ability. Amen. We will serve and act in fulfilling that very purpose. Amen. Move the hearts of your people, Father. Yes, Father. Equip us with knowledge and wisdom. Yes, Help us to understand the evil schemes of the adversary. Yes, because he will exploit so many things and in so many ways yes, to try and cause us to stumble and fall. Amen. Father, help us that we may know the truth. Yes, may your truth guard our minds and our hearts. Yes, and help us to be completely devoted to you. Yes, to have a zeal for you, Father. A burning passion and desire to please you and you alone. Yes. Help us, Father, to recommit our ways to you now. Yes. Bless our families and our loved ones. Yes. May they see our commitment to you yes. and may it affect them in a positive way. Yes. Help us, Father, to change the world. Yes. One step at a time. 
by our words and by our deeds, Amen. by our faith and by our love, yes. by our compassion and mercy. Amen. Teach us not to be judgmental, yes. but teach us to be patient, to be humble, especially as we interact with people. Yes. May you use us as your instruments yes. that your righteousness will prevail. Amen. Yahusha, our king, yes. you have taught us not to tolerate those who teach the ways of Balaam. Yes. Bless us with wisdom that we need. Yes. May this wisdom be received by those who are listening now. Yes. Those who are still imprisoned by false precepts. Yes. May you set them free. Begin with their mind. Yes. Work in their hearts as well. That they by faith will choose you as their one and only spiritual leader. Amen. Father, thank you so much for listening to your people. Yes. Bless and heal those who are sick. Yes. And continue to work in us, O oh God, as we build the spiritual temple, the Amen. body of your beloved son, the assembly that you have brought together. Amen. Father, thank you for listening to our prayers. Yes. Help us to spread the message of your righteousness. Yes. And may many... Be recipients of your manifold blessings. Amen. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua, our King. Amen. Amen.